handwritten note on the bottom of the page. It said, this is a wonderful school in my home state. If you come, I'll introduce you. Hope you can do it. Harry Truman. Fried chicken, mashed potatoes, uh, cranberry and, and cherry dressing—all uh, the all the all the mid-Missouri fixings. Diplomacy over poker uh, on the train ride to Missouri. Have all come to Fulton to make significant speeches of their own, following in Churchill's footsteps. He didn't believe that Soviets wanted war. In fact, it says as much in the speech. Uh, but he said they desire um, power and they mm. desire the expansion of their doctrines. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. Seventy-five years ago this week, Winston Churchill came to Missouri and made history. On March 5, 1946, the former British Prime Minister gave a speech at Westminster College in Fulton, Missouri. It was titled, The Sinews of Peace, and you may recall this memorable line. From Stettin in the Baltic to Trieste in the Adriatic, an iron curtain has descended across the continent. The speech has been credited with signaling the beginning of the Cold War. So why was it delivered far from the Iron Curtain in a town of fewer than 10,000 souls? Well, joining us today to talk about that and more is Tim Riley. He's the Sandra L. and Monroe E. Trout Director and Chief Curator at America's National Churchill Museum at Westminster College. Tim, welcome. Thank you. I'm really glad to be on. So this was a big speech for a bigger-than-life man. Why did Churchill deliver it in Fulton? You know, that's the question we get asked daily here at America's National Churchill Museum. And the simplest answer is, we asked. Uh, you know, I'll take you back to 1945, you know, at the end of uh, World War II, the victory in Europe. It was uh, a great day for Churchill. The Allies had won the war in Europe after uh, a long struggle. Uh, and then there was a general election <clears throat> in July of 45, and Churchill's party lost. It's <laughs> incredible to, to, to imagine, you know, arguably one of the most uh, popular and recognizable leaders in the world is suddenly without a job. And, um, you know, that fall, uh, Westminster College here in Fulton, Missouri, extended an, an invitation to Churchill saying, we'd like you to come and deliver the John Finley Green Foundation Lecture, an endowed lectureship here at the college. And, um, you know, Churchill uh, was, was still somewhat despondent and depressed that he had lost the election. He had more to say, and hmm. he was without a job. Uh, in fact, he, he famously said to his wife, um, uh, when she said, you know, Winston, this is a blessing in disguise that you're, you're, you have some time to re relax. And he said, it's effectively disguised very well. <laughs> Such a Churchillian uh, way of saying that. It is. And, and so he, in, in this, at this time, Churchill gets a letter from Westminster College. And I'm convinced that letter would have been given to a secretary and said, you know, tell them politely I'm unable to come, but thank them. Save for a handwritten note on the bottom of the page. It said, this is a wonderful school in my home state. If you come, I'll introduce you. Hope you can do it. Harry Truman. Mm -hmm. And when Churchill saw that Harry Truman handwrote this note on the, the Westminster College invitation, he said, I'm coming. 
uh, I've got more to say. And, 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 and so really, we asked, and he responded, uh, and, 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 and the rest is literally history. Hmm. Was there some hubris in this small college, um, even making this ask? Do you think Churchill was getting a number of other offers like this that just didn't have Truman's um, stamp of approval on them? You know, there was, and uh, it was serendipity in many respects. Uh, The president of the college, uh, Frank McClure, uh, was an alumnus of Westminster College, class of 1918, Mm -hmm. and uh, one of his classmates was General Harry Vaughan, who happened to be one of uh, President Truman's chief military aides. Uh, And so the uh, the Westminster College Alumni Network uh, really made made it happen. And um, I'll, I'll tell you, we have a lot of files and, and, and letters from in our archives here at the museum uh, that from other universities, uh, large and small throughout the country, saying, how did you do it? You know, how did you land this big figure? Uh, but uh, with a little bit of pluck, determination, and a good alumni network, uh, we made it happen. And you really think it was the Truman factor there. He wanted to be there on stage with the actual president of the United States. That gave some gravitas to, to what he was saying. Absolutely. You know, Churchill says it as much in his speech that he, he, he credits Truman for, for making the long journey uh, to uh, dignify, as, he, as Churchill says, the, the, the proceedings. Uh, and he was, he was very, very um, happy that uh, Harry Truman uh, invited him, uh, endorsed the invitation, and, uh, and knew that the world would tune in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the world would have tuned in anyway, but it certainly gave it more of an import uh, when, 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 when the leader of Britain, who had fought so uh, valiantly in World War II, was on stage with, with, the, 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 with, with Truman, it, it sent a gra- great signal. Hmm. So thinking about the, the former prime minister of Great Britain just getting to Fulton, Missouri is, is kind of fascinating to me. It couldn't have been easy to get to this small town. Did he fly in? You know, Churchill came to the United States on the Queen Elizabeth, the Mm. great Cunard ship, uh, landed in New York in January, in January of 46. And, um, you know, he did what a lot of uh, very wise people do. He made a beeline uh, in the winter to Florida. Ah. (laughs) He spent a couple of months in Miami Beach, took a quick trip to Cuba, and, and, and all the while was relaxing, painting. Churchill loved to paint. Uh, and uh, and meanwhile, crafted the early versions of the Iron Curtain speech in, in Miami Beach, of all places. So this explains uh, then, why he showed up in January. He needed to get out of that British climate and into the Florida one. Yes, he was he was a wise man in many respects. Uh, <laughs> and um, he, he he journeys to Washington ultimately, stays at the embassy overnight the night before they got onto a train from Washington D.C. to St. Louis, on to Jefferson City and then by motorcade to Fulton. So it was, it was a long journey, but I think you know, in retrospect for, for, for um, Winston Churchill, the train ride with Truman, the long train ride halfway across the United States was time well spent. Um, and I think the, the, the bond and, and, and the relationship that the two men forged uh, on, that, on that train ride uh, really helped uh, Anglo-American relations. Hmm. And do we know what they did on this long train ride from D.C.? 
We do, actually. We've got some great eyewitness accounts. Uh, there were a few journalists on board. It wasn't quite Air Force One, where the journalists are all piled onto the plane, um, but they did have six or seven reporters. Uh, David Brinkley, the great American broadcaster, was one of them, hmm. uh, and he recounts uh, a terrific story uh, about the poker game that happened on the train. Uh, Harry Truman, as we know, was, a, was an avid poker player, loved the game, was quite good at it. Um, Churchill loved cards, loved to gamble, um, but was not as good at playing poker as Truman hmm. uh, and started to lose rather large sums of, of money. Uh, and at one point, as uh, Brinkley recounts the story, uh, Churchill left the, the train car for a moment to use the restroom or something. Uh, and Truman told his men, you know, uh, listen, uh, we got to let the old man win. Uh, this is a very important person to the world. Uh, we, can't, uh, we can't let him uh, take a bath here in our poker game. So one by one, the reporters and the Americans, you know, kept their aces to themselves and let, let, let Churchill come back. So um, diplomacy over poker uh, on the train train ride to Missouri. That is a pretty amazing story. I can, I can see why you like that one. So they're playing poker on the train. They let Churchill win. They get to Fulton. What kind of reception did Churchill get in Fulton 1946? They, the, the train actually arrived in Jefferson City first, and there was a parade um, through the Jefferson City streets, uh, and then a motorcade that led them along Highway 54 uh, to make the 20-minute or so journey to Fulton. And there was a parade through town here. Um, interestingly enough, you know, Churchill's car in the motorcade, uh, as it was leaving Jefferson City, uh, suddenly smoke started to billow out of the hood. Uh, it broke down. Oh. Uh, and so you can imagine, this is not the greeting that uh, the governor of Missouri and the president of Westminster College or Harry Truman in his home state, you know, wanted Churchill to have. Uh, but they, they, they persevered, they changed cars and continued the motorcade uh, onto, uh, onto Fulton. But there was a parade both in Jefferson City uh, and through the streets of Fulton where 25,000 people showed up uh, from all over to catch a glimpse of the, of the former prime minister and president. It was, it was a, a very, very big deal uh, in, 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 in locally, uh, not only globally, geopolitically, for the, for the address that was given, but for the locals, it was really, really a special, special occasion. Yeah, and that's more than twice the number of people living in that town. It sounds like just about everybody turned out and, and then people from outside the town as well. Absolutely. Uh, and, and the press, you know, hmm. from, from all over. Um, there were radio crews uh, covering it internationally, uh, broadcasting from the gymnasium at Westminster College. Uh, and uh, preparations took, took uh, uh, two months of uh, preparations for this, this, this one visit. Hmm. So I understand they had a luncheon at the college president's house. How did that go? Oh, it was a, it was a great luncheon. You know, the the the, the, the Mrs. Trigg from uh, the, the the chef cook at Cal uh, the Fulton Country Club uh, prepared a ham, mm. uh, fried chicken, mashed potatoes, uh, cranberry and, and cherry dressing, uh, all the all the all the mid Missouri fixings, uh, and Churchill uh, apparently loved it. Uh, in fact, he told Mrs. McClure, the president of the college's wife. Uh, he said after eating the meal um, about the ham, Madam, uh, this ham, the pig rather, has has reached the highest form of evolution in this ham. Uh, and uh, so he was very complimentary. And, and actually, we have notes in our files that uh, for several years afterwards, Westminster College would send uh, to Churchill's to England uh, one of those hams. And we have nice, polite thank you notes back from Churchill. So he loved the meal, um, but I'm told that uh, Westminster was a dry campus. How did Churchill like that part of things? 
he was not impressed. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a Presbyterian college. Uh, it was a dry campus, you're correct. And at one point, uh, he had asked for a little refreshment before the speech. Uh, and uh, Harry Vaughn, who was the military aide to President Truman, General Vaughn, uh, because he knew Fulton, knew how to procure a little bit of whiskey for, for Churchill before the speech. Uh, and when he received it, uh, Churchill was uh, said to say, according to Vaughn, uh, thank you, I thought this was um, Fulton Sahara, not Fulton, Missouri. So uh, he, he, did, he did have a little liquid refreshment before the Iron Curtain speech. I'm glad the Missouri hospitality extended uh, to that important detail. And, you know, in just a moment, we're going to talk more about this speech. But I'm, I'm curious, did Churchill stick around after this speech, stay overnight on campus? No. Uh, original plans... When the, when, the, when the trip was first conceived was for an overnight. Uh, and in fact, the original plan called for Churchill to fly mm. uh, to Fulton, uh, but that was scrapped because Churchill wanted to relax and spend more time on a train, I think, uh, a little more leisurely pace. So the overnight did not have, you know, Churchill was in town less than um, 24 hours. Uh, there was a, a large dinner planned after the, the speech itself, but uh, Churchill and President Truman uh, elected to spend some time with Gold Star families, families mm. who had lost servicemen in World War II. Uh, and that very moving ceremony for both Churchill, uh, who is said to have wept uh, when meeting some of these families, uh, and President Truman, went on far longer than anyone expected. So uh, the, the, the kind of banquet-style roast beef platters that, so, that were prepared for the feast didn't happen. Mm -hmm. uh, Churchill and Truman were forced to get back on the train and, and head, back, uh, head back east. Mm -hmm. Our guest today is Tim Riley. He's the chief curator at America's National Churchill Museum at Westminster College. We're talking about Winston Churchill's uh, visit there, which happened 75 years ago this week. And if you have a question or comment about Churchill's visit to Missouri, you can give us a call. We're at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can also send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation and talk about that speech. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. to our conversation. We're talking today to Tim Riley. He's the chief curator at America's National Churchill Museum at West Westminster College. Uh, 75 years ago this Friday, Churchill made his Iron Curtain speech at that college in Fulton, Missouri. Now, Churchill came here warning of grave danger if the Western powers were to appease the Soviets. Let's listen to more from that speech. Last time, I saw it all coming. And I cried aloud to my own fellow countrymen and to the world, but, but no one paid any attention. Up till the year 1933, or even 1935, Germany might have been saved from the awful fate which had overtaken her. And we might all have been spared the miseries Hitler let loose upon mankind. There never was a war in history easier to prevent by timely action than the one which had just desolated 
such great areas of the globe. It could have been prevented, in my belief, without the firing of a single shot. And Germany might be powerful, prosperous, and honored today. But no one would listen. And one by one, we were all sucked into the awful whirlpool. Miss Shirley, ladies and gentlemen, I put it to you. Surely we must not let that happen again. Yeah, and that is Winston Churchill. He's basically comparing the threat from the Soviets in 1946 to the threat from the Nazis in the 30s. Now, Tim, the Soviets were his former allies very recently in this war that ended the year before. What kind of reaction did this comparison set off? Well, first of all, it's extraordinary, uh, again, to hear Winston Churchill's voice on the radio. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, that's how most people heard the speech, just like that, uh, tuned in. There were 2,700 people uh, in the gymnasium at Westminster College, but the most of the world uh, then and even today hear the speech that way. Uh, your observation is a good one. You know, the, the reaction to the speech was mixed. Um, in fact, there was a Gallup poll that uh, revealed the majority of, of, of Americans believed that we should not appease the Soviets. I think they, they, they understood uh, that um, Churchill had a point. However, there was a, a, a fairly strong uh, sentiment that um, Churchill perhaps was mixing things up a little bit too much. They did not believe, for instance, in Churchill's suggestion in the Iron Curtain speech that the UN uh, and the allies between Britain and, 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 and the United States should, should form a strategic military alliance. Mm. Um, you know, the memory of war was was fresh, uh, and uh, the, the 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 men had come home, and uh, there was no uh, appetite for putting them back in harm's way. So it was you know while at the one hand there was a, an understanding that the, the the Soviet way of life and the communism threat was was real, uh, it wasn't necessarily worth uh, dedicating uh, troops to, and uh, so the reaction was was really genuinely mixed. Hmm. Did President Truman know before this speech how far Churchill was going to go within it? Yes, he he did, though, uh, frankly, he... Truman did something that was fairly uncharacteristic of, of Harry Truman. Uh, he, he denied he had seen the speech in advance. Uh, he did. We, we know he did. Uh, if not on the train ride, uh, a draft uh, in the days before. Uh, but because uh, of this mixed reaction and, 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 and Churchill uh, calling out, as you rightly pointed out, a former ally, the Soviets had been our allies in World War II and suffered greatly, uh, you know, millions of of Soviet troops died in World War II. Uh, And there was a a certain amount of um, disbelief uh, in some circles that Churchill would would want to um, consider them an adversary where they had been such great allies. And and Truman Truman didn't didn't react with 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 uh, an immediate sense of you know yes Churchill you're right though you know clearly uh, on the stage you can see in the newsreels um, you know Truman is clapping along with everyone else as Churchill makes the speech so it was it was under, as I say uncharacteristic of Harry Truman to kind of distance himself from the, from from the speech but he did hmm. and ultimately did it lead to problems for Truman that he had sat there on the stage and had him in his home state as as Churchill went in with these words. Quite the opposite. You know, by a year later, the Truman Doctrine was announced, uh, which really was, in some ways, uh, taking 
Churchill's speech as a blueprint for how we would really wage and ultimately win the Cold War. Mm. Uh, so, uh, you know, by as, as time unfolded, and remember, this was still uh, March of 46. Uh, you know, it was not long after the end of World War II. And as, as time marched on, the months marched on, uh, Churchill's warning uh, appeared to be much more um, true, and, and, and Truman definitely realized that. Hmm. And yet, it's interesting, in this speech, he seems to suggest that the Soviet Union could be stopped without it um, necessarily turning violent. And now that we know how the Cold War turned out, that Cold War wasn't always cold. Um, you know, it may not have happened within the U.S., but there were certainly people who, who died in this fight. Do you think it's, it, it seems like a somewhat naive speech in retrospect? I don't think so. I think Churchill knew full well that the ultimate next war would be World War III. And with uh, atomic weapons um, in the hands of certainly the Allies, uh, Churchill mentioned the speech that one of his fears is that the Soviets would, would get those weapons uh, and, uh, and warned against it. So I don't think Churchill saw that as naive at all. I think he, he saw something that few others did, uh, and that was the prospect of uh, you know the ultimate war, uh, the, the the existentialist war, uh, and did everything he could to to stop that and prevent it. And his recipe was to stand up to the Soviets. He didn't believe that Soviets wanted war. In fact, he says as much in the speech. Uh, but he said they desire um, power and they mm. desire the expansion of their doctrines. Uh, and the only way for the allies in the West, particularly the special relationship between Britain and the United States, uh, was to uh, show force, hopefully not use it, mm -hmm. but uh, through deterrence, um, 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 stand up to the Soviets. And, and that, that's ultimately what happened. So the speech had a huge impact. I'm also curious about the impact that it had on Westminster College. Did it raise the college's national profile? Well, let's put it this way. You know, it was an all-men's college, and at the time Churchill came, there were 212 students, which was very small. But remember, many of them were away at war. Mm -hmm. uh, and the next fall, uh, they had doubled, almost nearly doubled their admissions. So certainly it had an immediate impact. But since then, uh, the Westminster College has become a platform for other world leaders hmm. um, to, to come and, and make their marks. We've had George H.W. Bush, uh, President Ford. Ronald Reagan famously came to campus in 1990 to dedicate a, pic, a piece of the Berlin Wall, a sculpture by Winston Churchill's granddaughter, Edwina Sands, called Breakthrough. Uh, you know, Reagan famously said to Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, which was the concrete manifestation of the Iron Curtain, after all. Mm -hmm. uh, and when it came down, the year anniversary in 1990, November, President Reagan was here to, to make his own pronouncement. Uh, a year and a half later, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, um, whose birthday it is today, uh, he turns 90 today, oh. uh, was here. Uh, so the, the Margaret Thatcher came in 1996. These, these world leaders who had a, a great hand in ending the Cold War, you know, Thatcher, Reagan, George H.W. Bush um, and uh, John Major visited, have all come to Fulton to make significant speeches of their own, following in Churchill's footsteps. And it's really, really quite remarkable that the speech uh, continues to uh, uh, draw attention and has become a place uh, where world leaders 
uh, have come to speak uh, from from those both on this side and the other side of the former Iron Curtain. Lech Walesa was here mm. uh, to speak, the president of Poland. It really becomes a hoo-hoo and, and quite remarkable uh, for a, a small town and a small college uh, to have these, these world leaders use the Westminster College platform to really dictate foreign policy. Hmm. And it all goes back to what happened 75 years ago this week. I know you guys have some big plans um, for this anniversary. What, what part of this are you most excited about? Well, I'm, I'm very excited, David. We're, we're actually participating virtually this year. You know, normally it would be our custom to invite, uh, you know, a, a hordes and hordes of people, but the the new looming threat of the pandemic is preventing us to do that. But uh, it's given us an opportunity to expand this to a worldwide audience. We've got several thousand people signed up to participate virtually, mm. to hear uh, from President Truman's grandson, Clifton Truman Daniel. Uh, Edwina Sands, I mentioned earlier, Churchill's granddaughter will be kicking things off. Uh, George Will, the great uh, political commentator, will be speaking, uh, uh, giving our Kemper lecture uh, at noon. We also have a host of other experts, historians, Andrew Roberts, General Petraeus, um, Randolph Churchill, Alan Packwood, uh, a couple of people who were at the speech will be participating virtually in the afternoon. Hmm. Uh, We're premiering a a documentary about uh, a great Winston Churchill sculpture. Uh, by Czech-British sculptor uh, Frontebelsky uh, that we've been producing. And most importantly, uh, a number of students here at Westminster College have been working with me and the museum to put together a virtual exhibition of our draft copy of the speech. We mm. have the, the, the speech copy that uh, Churchill was working on the night before he got on the train with the last-minute edits and changes. Uh, and uh, it's, it's really the, the, the great jewel in our collection here. And you can see Churchill's mind at work making the last-minute changes to the speech. Uh, and we've organized a virtual exhibition that will be premiered and debuted on online for everyone to see uh, on, on, on Friday, March 5th, the 75th anniversary. So it's, it's a terrific program. We invite people to, to join us. It's free. Uh, go to our website at nationalchurchillmuseum.org uh, and register, and uh, you can participate in as much of that as you'd like. Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned it's the pandemic that has driven this all to be virtual. And I know Eric Larson is one of your guests um, for this, this virtual program and his book, The Splendid and the Vile. Everybody's been reading this in the past year. It's been a big bestseller because people have seen parallels uh, between what was happening in the Blitz and our own pandemic. Do you see any parallels um, between what Churchill was up to in 1946 and where we are today? You know, that's a great question. And I think one of the things that has emerged uh, in our current crisis, our global threat, which is the war against the virus, um, is that uh, you look at someone like Churchill uh, in the Blitz in World War II, uh, who led his people against all odds uh, and was not afraid to give bad news first. Hmm. Uh, and, and I think you know, we, 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 we sometimes miss that, um, and maybe missed that early on in the pandemic, that uh, we didn't take this threat as seriously, perhaps, as, as we should. Uh, and, and, and the lesson to be learned from Churchill is, um, you know, give, us, give it to us straight, uh, let us muster the resources we need, we can handle it, and we can get through it. Uh, and ultimately, I think it, it's taken us a while, but we're, we're, we're certainly doing that now as a nation uh, and as a world. But we've got work to do. And, 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 and leading in, in a time of crisis is something that a lot of leaders have, have looked to. I've seen Churchill quoted 
uh, sometimes misquoted, I'm afraid, uh, in, in the media and in the press uh, in the last year, perhaps more so than, than, than usual because of the parallels of, 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 of fighting against odds and, and mobilizing uh, the English language and, and people in coalition and scientists. Churchill was a great believer uh, in having scientific advisors and believing in, in science during the war. And um, you know that was something that, that we certainly need now in the current fight against the pandemic. So I think there are parallels to be made and lessons to be learned. Well, Tim Riley, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and sharing some of them. Well, thank you, sir. It's been a delight. Tim is the Sandra L. and Monroe E. Trout Director and Chief Curator at America's National Churchill Museum. That's at Westminster College. You can check out nationalchurchillmuseum.org for more information about this free uh, virtual uh, festival. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.